the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Firing Line with Rick Travis, Legislative Director for the California Rifle and Pistol Association. The Firing Line radio show is brought to you by Turner's Outdoorsman, CCW Safe, Vortex Optics, Cutting Edge Bullets, and the California Rifle and Pistol Association. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. And now, your host, Rick Travis. Good afternoon, patriots of the Inland Empire and beyond. I'm your host, Rick Travis, the Legislative Director of the California Rifle Pistol Association, and welcome to CRPA's Firing Line Radio. This is brought to you by the California Rifle and Pistol Association. Go to CRPA.org, become a member, otherwise you're just leasing your Second Amendment rights. And to talk about your Second Amendment rights today with me is Costas Moros, who is one of the lead attorneys over at Michelle and Associates, who is undoubtedly the greatest law firm in the Western United States, if not the country, on Second Amendment matters. And Costas and I are going to be breaking down what has been the bane of everyone's existence since January 1st, Senate Bill 2, formerly known as 918. I'll start by uh, welcoming Costas, and then uh, we'll get into where this came and how it got here and what you need to know. Welcome, Costas, to the show. Thanks, Rick. Always a pleasure to be on. And it's always a pleasure to work with you folks. We work a lot in the background and talk about these um, horrific concepts that the far liberal whacked out left comes up with to remove your constitutional rights. And this actually started off as a bill in response to a case that we're going to break down a little bit called the Bruin decision. Costas, before that, we had, you know, this debate over whether the Second Amendment really covered concealed carry, your ability to defend yourself, or if that only belonged to militias. And then we had a couple of wonderful cases, uh, you know, namely the McDonald case and the Heller case, which said, yeah, you get to have a firearm. You get to protect your life. We realize law enforcement can't be there. That's your right. We don't want you to die at home or in other places. And we even had... Interestingly enough, some people like uh, I've read some excerpts from uh, Ginsburg and Scalia talking in the background some things. And even Ginsburg, um, which is not often seen as a friend, had said, hey, you know, some of these rights should extend beyond certain points and, and people should feel safe and should feel like they could protect themselves. And then we had the Bruin decision. And I'm going to let you kind of show what the Bruin decision did that caused this outrageous reaction from the left that has brought us Senate Bill 2. Okay, well, the Bruin decision, it was a landmark case uh, in 2022, and it, it did two things. First of all, the, the immediate thing it did was say that there is indeed a right to carry. Uh, the and bear part of the right to uh, keep and bear arms does actually mean something. And so states like California, New York, and a few others that had required 
quote unquote good cause to uh to issue permits which allowed some place, some jurisdictions to not issue any permits like San Francisco the, the entire state of Hawaii and a few others um it said those were unconstitutional Bruin, of course, also set out a historical analysis. It reconfirmed Heller's historical analysis, uh, which affects all Second Amendment cases. But again, the, mo- the more immediate thing as it pertains to SB2 uh, is that it confirmed a right to carry. And that's where, uh, as I'm sure you're about to go into, we started to get these, quote unquote, Bruin response laws that tried to undermine that. Right. So when this first came out, it was Senate Bill 918, and they brought it out as an emergency measure. And so a lot of people are like, well, how did you defeat 918? It was because it was an emergency measure, it required 67% of the vote, which meant we just had to get enough votes or enough people not to vote to stop that 67 from going through. Uh, a shout-out to Sam Prittis from Gun Owners of California. Um, Dan Reed from the NRA was helpful in this as well, but Sam and us, we're working the floors up until about 1245 in the morning, well past the date deadline, um, as Attorney General Bonta basically broke every rule in the book by going on the floor and trying to harangue people to get them to vote with the governor, and we were able to stop it in its its feet. At that time, I remember, Costas, you had already worked on the response, and so you were both happy and bummed, and I felt bad because I knew how bad you wanted to go after him on this. Um, but it didn't take them long because they came back the next year with Senate Bill 2. They removed the emergency, so they needed 50% plus one to get this across, which we were able to secure, and we kind of knew that going into it. But in that, I think one of the most profound things that I remember listening to was, besides all the lies that came out, and that's why I'm just going to call them on this program because that's what they are, but immediately Portentino, the author of the bill, and his cronies all went out there and said, hey, we're being compliant with the Bruin decision. Not true. And secondly, we're making you safer, which we'll also get into this program. is not true. And third, we didn't like what was said by Justice Thomas when he said, you can't make a gun-free zone by making all of Manhattan a place that's sensitive and you can't carry things. And that immediately started this reaction by several of the states you mentioned, but here in California, Senate Bill 2, formerly 918. And let's talk about sensitive places because in the past few weeks, I cannot tell you, and I know you have had the same issue, my phone has exploded with people upset about sensitive places, people not understanding what sensitive places are, um, historical analogies of some of these sensitive places. And so I think it's really important people understand what a sensitive place is and that way we can break down the lies. Sure. And, and sensitive places are a doctrine that the Supreme Court acknowledged. So in Bruin, the Supreme Court said there is a general right to public carry. But there's a rare exception called the sensitive places doctrine because there's a history of banning carry in a few specific places. For example, legislative chambers, courthouses, um, voting, uh, polling places during voting. Uh, and it's a little more debatable on this last one, but uh, there is some historical tradition of banning carry in schools, not a lot of it, and it usually only applied to the students, not the adults or the teachers. But in essence, the sensitive places doctrine does say that, you know, there are a few places and maybe there are some new and analogous places where you can ban carry. Uh, the problem, of course, with SB2 and laws like it in other states is that 
by making everywhere a sensitive place, the, the term loses all meaning. Well, I, I think Senator Portantino himself uh, joked that only streets and sidewalks would be left. Maybe it was bragging, not joking. Yeah. Um, you know, but, uh, but so that, that just means if everything's sensitive, then how is anything sensitive? You know, if everything but streets and sidewalks bans carry. Uh, and it undermines the general right of public carry that the Supreme Court laid out with Bruin, which is why, you know, we think we had the massive success we had in this case. Yeah. So, folks, some of these sensitive places, I'm going to hit on the schools one and we'll go in the next segment on a couple others. But on the school one, you know, Costas, you're absolutely right. There are some historical um, analogies of where schools have said, hey, students, you can't carry. But one of the things I'll share with you is uh, at L.A. High School that has been around for at least 60, 70 years, um, talking with the principal a couple of years ago, you know, students in the 70s and 80s were able to carry 22 rifles on on the bus, on the bus to the school because that was part of their, their PE. They were out there as part of a competitive shooting team. It was someone that was taught in high school. And his note to me, because he had went to that school before – going on to graduate school and everything and working his way up, said, you know, this is a place where we didn't have people committing suicide with guns. We didn't have this. And he asserted because education taught about firearms, taught about respecting firearms. There were a lot of differences. He said, yeah, we still had gangs. We still had drugs. We still had a lot of the resident issues. But that the the lack of education, the glorification of doing some of the stuff he had felt had really went on there. And I think that's where part of the debate we'll see as we move on to, to get back our Second Amendment rights is, you know, removing some things from education has not been good. You know, it has just led to more more issues. And this is one of the things that they don't want to tell you folks is that the better educated the populace about their rights, um, and the Second Amendment is a fundamental right, the harder it is for people to manipulate the public. And that's one of the things that even if you're not a, a firearms owner, you need to be looking at is an uneducated, uninformed public is a dangerous thing for the electorate because it can get us all in the situations we've seen in other countries around the world, which is why the CRPA works so hard to raise funds and that monies go to lawsuits to be able to defend those rights for you. Costas, one of the things I want to explore is this issue with businesses and compelled speech, because there's a lot of these terms that we're throwing out. And, of course, I know what compelled speech is. You know what compelled speech is. We understand its relationship with the First Amendment. But in this next segment, I really want to break out um, what compelled speech is, because, folks, this is a major threat, and it doesn't just affect the Second Amendment. This is another area where CRPA and its attorneys and, and our our friends, I'll do shout outs to gun owners of California and America and the Second Amendment Foundation and the Second Amendment Law Center, which is a collection of some of the best minds legally in the country, are all working together because I have said on this show for years, um, including when Phil Naiman used to run the show, you better understand the Second Amendment is what guarantees every one of your fundamental rights in the First Amendment. And when we lose... That first, the Second Amendment, we will lose the First Amendment. You look anywhere throughout history, anywhere out in the world, and where there's not a Second Amendment type provision, there are no First Amendment tangible rights. And so, folks, as we move into this election on March 5th, remember, 
They work for you, not the other way around. So if you don't like what's going on, let them out of office and get people in there that will work for you. We'll be back on Fine Line Radio. Turner's Outdoorsman, California's number one hunting, fishing, and shooting sports retailer since 1971, now has 33 locations across California and one in Tucson, Arizona. Turner's is your one-stop shop for all your shooting sports and fishing tackle needs. We offer a full selection and unmatched prices on firearms, ammunition, gun safes, shooting accessories, archery equipment, and fishing tackle. Visit turners.com now and sign up for the Turner's Discount Club for free and get our weekly ads and members-only specials sent directly to your inbox. For more info, to sign up for the Turner's Discount Club or to shop online, visit turners.com. Hi folks, Philip Naiman. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated million dollars for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at CCWSafe.com. AM590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Turner's Outdoorsman. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. Welcome back to Firing Line Radio. I'm your host, Rick Travis, the Legislative Director for the California Rifle Pistol Association. Today with me is a great colleague and friend, Costas Moros, who is working on one of the lead attorneys on the Senate Bill 2 case we have, um, defending your rights to be able to carry. And we're talking specifically right now, and I'm going to open up this and unpack it, this whole concept of compelled speech, because like I said, Costas, I've got a whole bunch of questions on it um, from the public. So can you kind of put in layman's terms, compelled speech? <laughs> well, as it pertains to SB2, SB2 requires businesses or churches um, that want to allow carry on their premises to essentially give permission to lawful carry by putting up a sign uh, that indicates that carry is allowed. Uh, the problem with that is uh, we have clients, um, two, two of our plaintiffs in the case, uh, own businesses. One of them's a dentist and the other one owns a, uh, I think a construction company with a showroom out in Fresno. And they don't want to have to put up that sign. They're fine with people carrying. They've always been okay with people carrying, you know, uh, lawfully permitted people, uh, carrying in their businesses. But, but, but they know by putting up a sign, they might alienate other customers who are afraid of guns and they don't want to take such a political stance. You know, they just want to leave it as it's been where if you, uh, if you have a permit, you can carry, you know, a sort of don't ask, don't tell sort of situation. Everyone keeps their privacy instead of having to put up this sign that might frighten some customers. Cause like it or not, we are in California. 
California, and some people don't like guns. And when you're a business person, you can't alienate, you know, a big segment of your customers. So we argued in our complaint uh, that this is compelled speech. You know, it's the government forcing you to talk. Now, of course, the government would say, and they did say that, uh, we're not making them say anything. They don't have to say anything. But the fact is, they do if they want to continue to allow carry, uh, and it and it reverses a longstanding position. And uh, we we've seen just recently the Supreme Court has ruled in a compelled speech case. I think it was that Colorado baker they keep harassing out there um, that you can't force someone to say something. You know, it, it, it's it's unconstitutional. So that, that that's the basic of what compelled speech is. It's when the government forces you to say something. So far, this claim has been made in other states. It's had mixed success. I think one court, district court in New York agreed with the plaintiffs. Other courts, even ones that sided with the plaintiffs on the Second Amendment, said, nah, this isn't really compelled speech. So it is debated right now. We feel strongly that it does count as compelled speech, but that will probably have to wait for... Uh, litigation because it wasn't a big part of our motion for preliminary injunction just because we were limited in space and had to focus on the Second Amendment issues. Yeah, so one of the things I want all of us to, and thank you for that, but one of the things I want people to recognize, you know, talking to um, some business owners, I won't put them out because I want to protect them, but one of them owns a very historic, nice cafe here in Southern California that I frequented off and on for probably 20 years. And like you said, totally fine with having people carry concealed, has no issue, does not want to put the sign out for the same reason. But they added another reason that I thought was really insightful. They said, you know, we have a grading system in our county where you get ABC grades for, like, cleanliness. And, you know, they they iterated to me that they had one person came from the county who was very what you would expect and hope for, and a public servant that was like, hey, I'm just checking the things on my list. They had one right now who is very much about their politics, talks about their personal politics all the time, which would not support having concealed carry things. And they said, you know, if we don't have a sign out there, there or if we put a sign out there, this person would never give us an A. We would get a B or a C grade. That's just the way they are. And so it's this retaliatory ability of some jurisdictions to be able to have and that would be very hard to prove one way or the other in a courtroom, but you would, you would know as the business owner of like, wow, I've been doing this for 25 years, never had anything but an A. Also, I put up a sign and now I only get a B or a C. Um, and so I think this is one of those areas. And it's also an area that has a historical narrative that I point out a couple of times in this program, because the last place I saw signs to go after a culture, which that's what this is, was in a little place called Germany in the 1930s that where the German government said you need to put signs out of who you will and won't serve, and eventually that led to a very tyrannical, very bad situation, which brings me to the next group of people that this goes after, and that's places of worship. And I mean, it's been interesting to watch. I've had imams. I've had, um, you know, various pastors, priests. I've, I've definitely had more than my fair share, especially as of late, rabbis come and say, we have to go get a sign, and a sign that I might add, unless something's changed in the last 24 hours, isn't even really been made available by DOJ that says, oh, you can carry firearms in this place of worship, and yet I will call places of worship one of the highest assaulted areas inside society, even more than schools, yet underreported, 
I just feel like you're making it into a gun-free zone, and gun-free zones throughout the country have become better known as killing zones or sitting duck zones. Yeah, and so the, with the church provision, they don't ban outright carrying churches. What they're doing, though, is the same thing. You have to put up a sign of sign, which, as you point out, they haven't released, um, which says carry is allowed in a church. The problem is you run into the same issue. No church wants to put up that sign. Very few would want to put up that sign. Um, so that ends up meaning that there is no carry in churches unless you break the rules. And it, it's frustrating because churches, as you said, churches and other places of worship have been targets of attacks. I mean, look at the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting horrific incident. And indeed, one of uh, a CRPA member uh, wrote a declaration in support of our motion for preliminary injunction, a Jewish gentleman. And he talks about how in these tense times of uh, unfortunate um, uh, conflict in the Middle East involving Israel, like he does feel vulnerable uh, in his own synagogue and he wants to be able to continue to carry as he always has. Um, and SB2 tried to stop that until, of course, we got the injunction against it. So, yeah, it's it's a huge problem. And it's 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 pretty twisted because. These politicians have to know that a bad actor, a criminal, isn't going to care about the sign. So they're only really stopping people that aren't a threat anyway. You know, if you're the type of person that listens to the law and doesn't carry because it's against the law, then you're definitely not the type of person who's going to commit a violent crime. So it, it, it's it's really nefarious, and it just goes to show how much Gavin Newsom and his allies are driven by spite against gun owners. There's no logic to this, you know. So. And I think that's really important, Costas, because, you know, when you talk to people, um, you know, I work with the state sheriffs along with you on this area. I work with several national groups. And when you look at the stats, they always, Portentino Newsom's favorite thing, hey, if what we're doing saves one life, one life, it's worth it. Yet, you know, basic things I used to teach debaters was cost-benefit analysis, put the things into scale. So they're asking for one life for this law. But what they're not taking into consideration is literally last year, as reported up until November 1st, over 300,000 CCW holders nationwide had pulled their firearm and saved lives as verified by law enforcement. So we're going to put in a scale of law that might save one life, but cost over 300,000 other lives. And grand, not all those are in California. We're getting those stats confirmed right now for California, so I can use those up in the legislature. But the point is, CCW holders are not the ones committing the crimes. They're the least likely to commit crimes. The FBI has said so. Center for Disease Control has even admitted that. We have people up and down the state have admitted it. DOJ knows it. The state sheriffs know it. Local law enforcement knows it. And yet, this is one of the big lies that they feel like if they keep saying enough, everyone's going to believe it. And which is why, folks, I'm going to tell you right now, when you hear these lies, something else I used to teach debaters all the time, silence is admission. If you stay silent, the crowd around you thinks you agree. And so if you don't agree, speak up, because being silent gets us nowhere but backwards. You have to speak up. You have to speak truth. You have to sit there and say, well, actually, that's not true. CCW holders save a lot of lives every year. But the whole idea with concealed is they don't, when they save it, they don't go jump on social media and brag because they want to continue to carry concealed. 
It's not about glory and here being a hero. It's about doing the right thing. That's why you were given this constitutional right. So, folks, again, I need you to all understand, we got an election coming up on March 5th. This election is early. I think a lot of people haven't woken up. Election voting actually starts in less than 30 days on February 5th. So, folks, this is the time when you get to decide who represents you in the Assembly, the Senate, Congress, on the local levels. Need to get out there, get informed. You can go to CRPA.org. We have a voter guide. We have endorsements. Those are people that we have looked at their voting records. We have done background interviews with them. We've done everything to check these people out so you can be informed. And if you don't see a candidate on there, that's most likely because that candidate refused to answer the questions. And that should be a red flag to you. The other side likes to have red flag laws. Your biggest red flag law is that they won't talk and they won't fill out a form saying where they stand on the Constitution to represent you. They don't deserve your vote. We'll be back on Fine Line Radio as we look at the current legal battle going on with the governor on Senate Bill 2. Turner's Outdoorsman, California's number one hunting, fishing, and shooting sports retailer since 1971, now has 33 locations across California and one in Tucson, Arizona. Turner's is your one-stop shop for all your shooting sports and fishing tackle needs. We offer a full selection and unmatched prices on firearms, ammunition, gun safes, shooting accessories, archery equipment, and fishing tackle. Visit turners.com now and sign up for the Turner's Discount Club for free and get our weekly ads and members-only specials sent directly to your inbox. For more info to sign up for the Turner's Discount Club or to shop online, visit turners.com. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by CCW Safe and the California Rifle and Pistol Association. Spartans, lay down your weapons! Welcome back to Firing Line Radio. I'm your host, Rick Travis, the legislative director for the California Rifle Pistol Association. Whether you're driving, you're at home, you're in the office, you're listening to this on a podcast, this is great information. Hopefully that will help settle it. You're getting to hear from one of the attorneys representing you on Senate Bill 2 in a case that we're now going to unpack that we've uh, led up to what it is. So, Costas, we, we had this law. It got signed in by the governor um, gleefully um, as he did his little victory dance, saying that he had won and he had set the, the record straight. We, of course, were prepared for over a year to go after him. Um, Chuck Michelle and you and, and several others at the law offices proceeded to uh, go into a flurry of everything filed. And so uh, kind of lead us down the path of what's happened because there's a lot of confusion of, well, we thought we won. No, we lost. No, we won. No, we lost. Where are we at? So let's break it down. Well, well, first of all, one correction. By the time he was signing it, we had already filed the lawsuit, which I know <laughs> caused you a little bit of a concern and headache there. You know, I, I had thought that thing, that thing had been sitting in the freezer. As you said, I was eager to get it filed. So uh, we jumped the shark a little bit. What are you going to do? We wanted to, we wanted to uh, spoil his party a little bit. Uh, but anyway, so yes, we filed our complaint a few days, a uh, week or so before Gavin Newsom signed it. Once Newsom signed it, we served the state. And then shortly after we got our, what's called a motion for preliminary injunction 
on file. And what a preliminary injunction does, if, if successful, is that while the lawsuit is pending, um, it, the law cannot be enforced. And it's only granted when the judge thinks you are likely to succeed in the case. So that's part of what the motion is. You show, you go through the legal arguments and you say, Your Honor, this is why we think we'll succeed. And you do kind of a, a, a condensed version of a trial. You show some evidence. It might not, it's not going to be as extensive as what you show in a trial, but just enough so the judge has enough to go on. Um, so we went before Judge Carney in the Central District on December 20th. And that same day after the hearing, he, to our surprise, we thought it'd be a few days, he issued a ruling. Clearly he had the ruling drafted and he was just giving the state one last chance to convince him, you know, and they didn't. Uh, and he granted our injunction in full on everything we challenged, which was, you know, as, as confident as we were in our arguments, we figured, okay, he, you know, most judges will split the baby at least a little bit and give the state a couple of, throw them a couple bones. But no, Judge Carney did the right thing and he, uh, granted the injunction in full. Then this is where things get crazy because us beating the state in district court is uh, practically routine at this point. <laughs> we've, we've been kicking their butt uh, all year long. But what happened after was the state moved for to with the Ninth Circuit to stay the injunction pending appeal, which would allow SB2 to go into effect. The Ninth Circuit motions panel took the unusual step of issuing an administrative stay which on on the injunction, which allowed SB2 to go into effect. And that's interesting because the motions panel usually just decides the motion. They don't do administrative stays most of the time. Um, so that was confusing. It let SB2 go into effect, and we pretty quickly, after the holiday weekend had passed, because we thought maybe, you know, this would be resolved uh, and once people got back from the holidays, but it wasn't. So we filed a motion to reconsider. And the motion to reconsider basically argued, hey, look, you, the Ninth Circuit has recent case law saying administrative stays are only issued to preserve the status quo pending appeal. This one did the opposite. It reversed the status quo. It let SB2 go into effect, even though, you know, SB2 changes sensitive places that have, it, it adds sensitive places that haven't been in this, in California law for over a century, the, the entire, the entirety of California's existence. Uh, and, we won't know for sure if the motion for reconsideration is what did it, but uh, because the, the Ninth Circuit doesn't explain these things. But once the merits panel, which is the panel that will actually decide the appeal, got a hold of the case, we got an order on Saturday basically dissolving the administrative stay and putting Judge Carney's injunction back into effect. So the end result here is that people, except for January 1st through January 6th, uh, Californians with CCW permits can carry as they did before. We we preserved the uh, December 31st status quo, uh, and now the case will proceed to appeal. So uh, sorry if I rambled a bit there, but that's the summary of everything in short no, form. I, I think that's important because I think um, rightfully so, every law-abiding person was like, what just happened when we lost the, the preliminary injunction? And then all of a sudden, you know, it broke loose because I remember as uh, it came out from everybody in the office that, hey, you know, we everything had happened, as you had said. I was suddenly relieved, even as a, a personal person that has a, a concealed carry permit. I was like, yeah, this is great. We're, we're, we're back. We have our rights restored um, for now while we're going through this process. So let's talk about from here on in. There's been a lot of things that come out with you know, new train requirements and stuff that is going on with SB2 and, you know, a lot of other confusion for those that, that do carry concealed. But one of them is, you know, so what are we looking at now? So 
when will we actually have a court hearing? When will this actually go to court? Those are questions people are asking. I'm sorry, Rick, can you clarify? Do you mean regarding the new training issues that are happening or SB2? Yeah, I want to, I want to explore the, the training issues, but as far as the SB2 case goes, where we're at right now, oh, which I believe is the May case. So in May, uh, the state's opening brief is due January 19th in about a week. Uh, our opposition is due in mid-February, and then we're going to have a hearing sometime in April. Uh, we do, given the result, we don't know who the judges are that reverse, that put Judge Carney's ruling back into effect, but given their actions and given that they completely denied the state's motion to stay, we have to assume that we're feeling pretty good about our chances in April, you know. After that, we'll see, assuming it goes our way like we think, we'll have to see what the Ninth Circuit does. They obviously have a pattern of giving en banc review to every Second Amendment win, so we'll see if they stick to that. Uh, but regardless, uh, for the near future, we're feeling good, and we'll see. Uh, we'll have to see what happens uh, in April and after. Yeah. So one of the questions that I get asked a lot, um, including by legislators, is so – at what point would this go back to the Supreme Court? Because I've even had a couple of, of moderate Dems say, on face value, this looks like, and I, I want to shake my head violently, yes, when they're saying this, but it looks like this is an, an totally against what the Supreme Court's already said. At what point can the Supreme Court grab this and say, knock it off? Or what's that process look like? And surprisingly enough, like I said, there are some people in the legislature that don't seem to even know this. So... What's your answer to that question? The Supreme Court, frustratingly, has a habit of not wanting to grant review in preliminary injunction cases. They like to wait for a final judgment. Um, so it could be a while. That, that's not always the case. Sometimes they do get involved early, but they, they don't have to take cases. So they tend to be very conservative. And I don't mean that in a political sense right now. I mean it in a, you know, in an activist sense. They, they tend to not want to decide cases until they have to. Um, so, a couple of things will happen here. We are likely, although you never know, we are likely to win the Ninth Circuit panel in April, the, the, the regular appeal. Um, if, if we do win that, then the state will either, you know, they're probably not going to surrender and go back, you know, because that's just not what California does. So they're either going to go to the, ask for on bonk review. In fact, they'll do that first. They're not going to go to the Supreme Court first. They will ask for on bonk review. Then if by some miracle we don't get on bonk reviewed, if the Ninth Circuit just leaves the ruling as is, then the state could ask for Supreme Court review. But that would be interesting because uh, the Supreme Court, you know, is obviously not going to side with them. So at that point, I think we've won. If the Ninth Circuit does not grant en banc review, for all intents and purposes, we won. Yes, we still have to go back and do the final judgment, but the, the preliminary injunction case law would be guiding Judge Carney on that, and we would prevail. So it, I think it really comes down not to the Supreme Court in this case, but the en banc. Now, if, if, if the en banc does take it and we lose, uh, which, by the way, isn't a certainty anymore because it's a random draw of 11 judges. And although the uh, Newsom has the edge in that, it's not the, the Ninth Circuit is not as liberal as it used to be. You know, so there is a chance you can get a, a strong 11 judge uh, court that sides with you. But anyway, let's assume we go to Ombank and we lose. Then we would petition the Supreme Court and uh, ask them to review the case. And they, they would either grant it or they would deny it and tell us to come back when we got a final judgment, uh, in which case we'd go back down to Carney and speed run it up again. It's a procedural uh, mess of confusion, but that's how it works. <laughs> so would there be a reason why the governor and the attorney general wouldn't want to push it to the Supreme Court? 
and let it die in the ninth? Yeah, the the reason would be they don't want to lose because if they if they push it to the Supreme Court um and lose, then it's a national precedent, you know, and, and, and it applies to the whole nation. Of course, I don't know how much Newsom cares about that. He seems that his his main thing seems to be running for president either this year or in twenty twenty eight if Joe Biden runs again. Um so maybe he's just looking out for his own Democratic primary and doesn't really care no. what happens in other states. That's shocking so, you would say that. <laughs> no, it's obvious at this point, right? He's clearly running for president. I don't I don't think he knows yet which year he's running for, but he's running. Uh, he, that's what's happening. Yeah. yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, hopefully this gives you a sound explanation of where we're on the case. And then what we're going to be looking at is at kind of the future into this last segment of, where we're headed with both laws coming down the pipe. We're going to talk about a couple that were introduced this week and also some other cases surrounding this so you know the work that is being done to defend your rights. But we need your help in defending your rights. I remember, again, March 5th, I know you're probably sick of hearing me say it today, is election day. That's the last day to vote. The first day to vote is February 5th. Folks, you got to get everybody out there voting because to be a public servant means you work for the public, not the other way around. It's time to do a lot of firing and a lot of hiring. We'll be back on Firing Line Radio. Hi, folks. Philip Naiman. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated $1 million for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at ccwsafe.com. Turner's Outdoorsman, California's number one hunting, fishing, and shooting sports retailer since 1971, now has 33 locations across California and one in Tucson, Arizona. Turner's is your one-stop shop for all your shooting sports and fishing tackle needs. We offer a full selection and unmatched prices on firearms, ammunition, gun safes, shooting accessories, archery equipment, and fishing tackle. Visit turners.com now and sign up for the Turner's Discount Club for free and get our weekly ads and members-only specials sent directly to your inbox. For more info, to sign up for the Turner's Discount Club or to shop online, visit turners.com. AM 590, the answer. Welcome back to Firing Line Radio. I'm your host, Rick Travis, Legislative Director for the California Rifle and Pistol Association, welcoming you to our final segment on this wonderful Saturday with CRPA's Firing Line Radio. Remember, join the CRPA at crpa.org. Become a real patriot fighting for not just the Second Amendment, but your constitutional rights. With me today is my good friend, Costas Moros, who is with the law firm Michelle and Associates, which works with the CRPA on all of your rights um, as they relate to the Second Amendment up and down the state and across the nation. We've been talking about Senate Bill 2. We've been talking about the Navy Bonta case that has preserved your rights at this point to be able to continue to carry and not allow Senate Bill 2 and sense of places to go into effect. 
We're now in this last segment going to be talking about some of the other things that are coming out, some of the other draconian issues and lawsuits and where we're going to be headed. So, Costas, um, you know, I do want to talk about some of the things that SB2 has done that we'll be looking at in the future. But before that, you know, I hate this comment. I get it every year. The end of the session, I get people going, well, Rick, I think they've done everything they could possibly come up with. I don't think they'll come up with anything new. And then, voila, Portentino on day two does a gut on demand. He takes a bill that was a movie tax credit, a movie tax credit, folks. Um, literally, there's 3,500 bills between the two houses, and he takes one of them on a movie tax credit, amends everything but the bill number, and changes it to be a, a storage issue for firearms. And that issue was that in your house, you have to get a um, approved device that the DOJ looks over, uh, what's called a, a firearm safety device, FSD. You have to, like, lock the ammo one place, lock the firearm another place. The two can't be together. You know, so this basically sets up coast as the bad people come in my house at 3 o'clock in the morning. I have to go, time out. We're playing by the governor's rules. you got to give me five so I can go open up three safes and assemble everything. Like, this is just ridiculous because the way I read some comments from the Heller decision and from the uh, McDonald decision was, wait, I, the state doesn't have the right to tell me that I can't have my firearm assembled and ready to go in my household. They don't have that right. So why is it we keep seeing Giffords and Brady writing, because that's what they do, writing ordinances, writing legislation for people, and people trying to do it when the Supreme Court flat out says, thou shalt not. Oh, because Senator Portentino is running for United States Senate. I mean, that's it. It's, it's, he doesn't care. Like he, he breaks his oath to the constitution on a daily basis. He doesn't care how much we beat him, you know, as good as it feels for us to beat him. He knows his base is still going to vote for him. He's in a safe district, you know, and, and guns are bad. So he just keeps using us as some sort of political punching bag rather than solving any real issues. Uh, frankly, I think this is not my area of expertise, but I think he's going to get his ass kicked in running for Senate. I don't think he's going to be a U.S. Senator uh, in that primary, but we'll see what happens. But that, it, it is frustrating how they just blatantly ignore what Heller said. Um, and, and it's just going to be another lawsuit, and we're going to win, and then California taxpayers will have to pay our legal fees at a time when the governor just announced the second year in a row of giant deficits in the budget. He's dipping into the rainy day fund, I heard. So it, it, it's ridiculous that this keeps happening, and they will not ever get the message, uh, and we just have to keep slapping it away, I guess. And this is where it comes back down to you people with the vote. Uh, a couple of things. I do want to make a, a small correction. He's running for Congress. He's running in Adam Schiff's district. Or oh, Adam I'm Schiff. sorry. Yes, yeah. Congress, not Senate. Not Senate, yes. And Adam Schiff is running for Senate against Kitty Porter, yeah. Barbara Lee, and Steve Garvey. Uh want all of you to understand this, though, and clearly – this is a bold-faced lie by him that he's, you know, saving lives. He's not saving lives. In fact, what he's doing is creating a situation that puts more lives at risk. As you have seen over the past few years with this crazy idea in California of being kind and nice to criminals and they'll be kind and nice to you, has not worked out well for, for business owners, has not worked well for law enforcement, has not worked well for you, the law-abiding citizen who now is being threatened in more ways. We have, you know, outlandish stuff that I saw this week is now even in Canada, law enforcement is being forced to tell people, 
don't put videos of package thieves out on social media because you're invading the criminals' privacies. People, this is mind-blowingly stupid. And in this country, in this state, no matter what district, you can overthrow it. Realize in the 22s, there were several places that we, in the state that we preached the attitude of, like, if you can just convince one person in each neighborhood to vote opposite what they normally do, you can turn it. And in several of those, with less than a 1,000 votes, we did successfully turn it. And things have improved in those districts. Folks, if you live in a district, like I have a friend in Wilmington, it's in L.A. County, and Democrat, and I looked at her the other day, and I said, Bill, you've been here for 25 years. The Dems have been in charge. You still have potholes. You still have all these problems. Why not give the other side a try? And I don't care what the other side is politically, but, folks, this is a time to flip government. You have the ability to do it, and you got to do it because – like Costa said, this is costing money, and it's costing money, and I'll put it bluntly. We are now in a worse economic position as a state than we were during January of 1930, the Great Depression. And that was reported by the Sacramento Bee. That's nothing I'm coming up with. I will tell you where these sources came from. The Sacramento Bee said that back in December. That's where we're at. The governor can play all sorts of shell games with money, but you have to start asking questions, folks. When the governor of California says, yeah, we have a really, really not that great a credit rating, but I have the ability from a non-traditional source to, to, to borrow $90 billion to get us out of this mess. I can only assume that's a place that he recently took a trip to is where the money is coming from because no bank in the United States is going to loan $90 billion with a bad credit rating like California has right now and have to take from the rainy day fund. But a foreign country that he visited this summer, they might be interested in giving $90 billion, but when they do, they're grabbing $90 billion plus dollars worth of your California, your backyard, your neighborhood, your resources. And this is also a government that doesn't want you to have the ability to protect yourself. Folks, this is why this is such a critical time and a critical election. And there are things you can do, so do not listen to the apathetic crap that is put out there. Start waking up and realizing here are things you can do. You can vote. You can help other people vote. You can take people to vote. You can have your own ballot parties. Those are all things that have been legal. And by the way, for the ballot party argument, folks, this has been done since the elections in the early 1800s. So you can do that. Secondly, you can join groups like the CRPA who are out there fighting for for less than a few cents a day far less than what you're spending on your coffee or other adult beverages, you can have your rights defended and have some of the best people on the planet working for you and getting the job done. In addition to all that, you can educate those around you. Folks, we've got to quit griping, and we've got to start moving the ball, and you move the ball by becoming an activist for your rights. Don't claim patriotism and do nothing. Claim patriotism and do everything you possibly can do. Because we're not just fighting for us, we're fighting for the future generations of those who will follow us. And to that point, Costas, I know you're a dad. What are what are your thoughts on future litigation that you guys are looking at? Do you think we're going to continue to win as we move forward? 
Um, I think in the near future, yes. Uh, of course, the Ninth Circuit's a bit more of a crapshoot, but in the, in the in the immediate future, yes, we will continue to win. A lot of it's going to come down to what happens in the 2024 election, because of course the president has the power to appoint federal judges with the Senate's confirmation. So who the president is matters a ton for that, especially as you know judges across the country and in the Supreme Court start to age out. Um, we definitely need. Uh, to win elections at the end. You know, court wins are great. Um, I'm a lawyer. Of course, I believe in court wins. But you can only get the court wins if you have judges that are going to be sympathetic to you, and you do that by winning elections. So at the end of the day, courts can buy you time, but they can't bail you out of bad election results. Eventually, those will catch up with you. That's why the California state court system, by the way, we largely most of the time don't bother with it because it's hopeless. You know, it's all uh, Democratic appointed uh, judges, especially at the higher level. So we have no real shot at winning there, you know, except in certain cases where we strategically decide it makes sense. That's why we focus on federal courts. So we don't want to see the same thing happen in the federal courts. You have to win elections at the end of the day. And folks, I want that to be the resonating thing we finished today's radio show with. The election is important. It's important to your wallet. It's important to your rights. It's important to your ability to keep your house or one day own a home of your own, your own business, everything, your retirement, your health care. We're at a point where all the promises that were made are being destroyed. If you look at the governor's new budget, um, a lot of the things you've been promised are being destroyed. Those are empty promises. These are public servants. Servants, they serve you. Start being their boss. Get up in the morning and say, you're not working for me anymore. Because I guarantee you, if you had an employee promise to get things done for you and then lie to you, cheat, cost your business money, embarrass you, they wouldn't be an employee very long. It's time to fire these politicians and set the record in the right way and set a course for the future. And as always, folks, be safe, shoot straight, and fight back for your rights, and we'll see you next week. When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. The Firing Line Radio Show has been brought to you by Turner's Outdoorsman, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Vortex Optics, Vortex, the force of optics, and by the California Rifle and Pistol Association. Hi folks, Philip Naiman. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated $1 million for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at CCWSafe.com. AM 590, the answer. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.